And here we are. Welcome to the Two Half Squads, the one and only podcast dedicated 100% to the greatest game in the world. Advanced Squad Leader. I'm Jeff. I'm Dave. And we have uh, very special guests with us tonight. All of our guests are special, but these guys are especially special. Especially <laughs> special. Special. It's Dave and Paul. Welcome, guys. Thanks. Thanks. for Great to be here. The reason why we asked you on was because, why did we ask them on, Dave? I'm sure we had a good reason. Well, as you can see behind me, if you're watching on YouTube, if you're not, it is the 10th Mountain Pack. Oh, there it is. Yep. <laughs> that is going to be our particular topic of this show and whatever else comes up. Yeah. So uh, tell us about this uh, pack, guys, and where where this came from and how this all came up and about the 10th Mountain Division. Yeah, so my my dad um, served in the in World War II, and he was uh, in the Tenth Mountain Division. Uh, he was a ski jumper prior to enlisting in the Army, and uh, one of the reasons he enlisted was because he thought he could he could join the Tenth Mountain and and go skiing. Um, so uh, that was that was his that was his reason, and uh, but. I grew up in oh the 70s and early 80s uh, in high school, and I started playing ASL then. And so I started asking him about his World War II uh, service at that time, and he would not say anything about it at all. And so I, very, I knew very little when I was in high school about his, his war service and uh, what he did. And it was only until recently, about five years ago, that he... Um, uh, opened up more about his his World War II service and started telling me stories and and so I said well you know I play this weird game and uh, and we have a pretty good club in Kansas City and we'd love to do a pack uh, a, a set of scenarios around the 10th Mountain Division and he thought that was a great idea and so he shared with me some pictures and and some some of the books that he was very active in the 10th Mountain Division um, alumni, I guess that be the right term. And they would they would gather it um, in Colorado on occasion. And they had a, a pretty good uh, group in Iowa where I grew up. But um, so I got to know more about the 10th Mountain Division and uh, and the particular about the the uh, the regiment and the division that he served in. and. Um, uh, so he was a basically an off-board observer in ASL. Uh, so he he would uh, move forward and scout out en enemy positions and call in artillery and uh, and look for uh, Germans and pillboxes and things like that. In especially the the mountains of Italy is where they were engaged. So he kind of came late to 10th Mountain Division. So he wasn't involved in the early operations of the of the division, like the Kiska uh, situation or even earlier in uh, in Italy. But his, so he kind of showed up in Italy around in the late 1944 and was there till the end of the war. And when did the when did the 10th Mountain Division form? Do you know? And where was it? Um, it formed in 1943. Yes. And uh, so my dad joined in 42 and was quickly ushered to, um, they trained in Leadville, Colorado, or 43, yeah. 
And uh, so he thought that was great. Uh, he got to be in the mountains. And then I think they turned the, the mountain division into a light infantry division uh, and then moved them all to Texas. And he hated that. And, and then they got, him, they got shipped overseas. Um, and then when the war ended, um, they brought him back to the States and he was actually on a boat to Japan uh, to participate in the invasion of Japan. Um, but then the bomb dropped mm -hmm. and they turned their boats around. So Because that's wow. a typical good idea by the army to send a uh, <laughs> mountain division to a jungle uh, environment. <laughs> Uh, that's U.S. Army at its best. <laughs> but they were, uh, one thing about the 10th Mountain is they were some of the best trained troops. They had trained for several years, and these guys were all, most of them were elite athletes and uh, recruited from uh, everything from Olympians uh, down, and uh, including Dave's dad. And so these guys were no slouches. These guys were like, cream of the crop dudes. And um, uh, so it would be no surprise that, that they would want that, that kind of unit over there to do some, to do whatever they needed to do over there. Not that my dad was an Olympic athlete or anything. He was five foot six and weighed 120 pounds going into the army. Pretty typical and, in those um, days, I think. Right. Yeah. And uh, so he, um, although he says he was one of the shortest guys in the, um, in the in his regiment so and did they uh, deploy that the mountain division mostly by parachute no they um over on over on boats and uh, oh <laughs> and man the funny thing was you know they did all this training with skis and then they showed up in italy in december and they didn't have skis with them <laughs> uh, because they forgot them and then they eventually got skis, but then it was like March and they didn't need them anymore. <laughs> so the only time my dad used skis when he was in Italy was when the war had ended and they went over the Swiss Alps to go skiing. So they just went recreational skiing. <laughs> oh. Some of the scout guys, the recon dudes, they, they scrounged up skis right. from locals and stuff. Right. And used them, but they... Uh, uh, I mean, they utilize their mountain training uh, all the time. Just, yeah, yeah, climbing. And, I mean, we have lot, several accounts of pretty amazing climbs they did on near sheer cliffs and stuff. So the one thing about the pack is a lot of the Tenth Mountain um, engagements were in, the, in at night. So a lot of our scenarios are night driven. <laughs> so not the most favorite thing to do for ASL players, <laughs> but. Um, yeah, so so we've got so they're they're moderately big. Some of them are moderately big at night uh, with snow uh, in the mountains, and uh, so uh, with some offboard artillery. So that's pretty crazy. But uh, the uh, but that's what they did. That's what they did with a lot of their attacks. Yeah, you couldn't do the pack without doing without doing those kinds of things. And I, I took a I took a look at the scenarios that are the um, four parters. Mm -hmm. well, well, you first of all, you have a nice historical right up here that you did a great job of covering um, a lot of historical information in a very short space. Who wrote that up? Uh, I wrote it up, but uh, 
I wrote it up based on a number of different sources. Um, and then um, I, uh, uh, that, and then uh, we did have uh, Dave's dad look it over. So I was pleased he oh. said it sounded pretty accurate. So that was good. <laughs> and, he's, uh, and he's like 90 something? Is he with us? So my dad or? turned 100 in December. And he was, and so we we pre we we um we're going to debut our pack at our March Madness tournament in March, <clears throat> and he was so excited to come to that tournament, but he he fell ill, and uh, he um, kind of early March, and then he passed away on March twenty first. So, oh yeah, sorry to hear yeah, that. Very yes. sorry to hear that. Yeah, well, he, he lived a long, rich life, um, he, no complaints. And uh, but one thing he did say, and I talked to him, I, I went over when we were doing the tournament, like on March 9th, you know, 18th or something like that. I, I went over to where he was staying and uh, he said, I'm so sorry I can't make it over to your tournament. I really wanted to come and see oh. all you people that play this he, he always called it a stupid game, but <laughs> well, we would have been jazzed to see him. That's the kind of oh, no question about you guys that. know. When yeah, we meet people like that. We're totally jazzed. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, Paul and I wrote this the the inside the front cover, um, and a lot of that is about my dad. Uh, and so it was kind of fun to include a couple pictures of him, and then Paul wrote mostly all the historical stuff on the the four part piece. And then we included a whole, like a bunch of little facts at the in the back cover about um, uh, the Tenth Mountain Division, of which one uh, that they started many of the ski resorts in the United States, and my dad was instrumental in starting one in, in all places, Dubuque, Iowa, uh, where uh, they um, had a little tiny ski hill and just a, a little tiny ski club but two two members from the 10th mountain division were part of that ski club and they uh, were former ski jumpers and in fact going through my dad's stuff i found newspaper clippings of him ski jumping when he was 13 and 15 years old uh and you know getting in first and third place on on local ski jump stuff and so he was a skier his whole life in fact after he retired in 1986 he taught skiing for the next 40 years at the ski hill that he helped start in Dubuque wow. Iowa so wow that is fantastic yeah yeah this page had had the historical write-up I did read those two things I didn't get to the back page yet um yep so one one big uh when, when we do nor when we normally do packs for March Madness uh a lot of them, not every one of them, but uh, a lot of them are kind of a, not a hodgepodge, but a, a slew of different scenarios and different settings and, you know, some even uh, different theaters, theaters yeah. right? And so this one for us, uh, when Dave suggested it uh, a couple of years ago now, uh, it just clicked for me because uh, I do a lot of the, the historical checking for the, the intro and the, the aftermath stuff. And for me to be able to just zero in on one unit and maybe the, the guys they were fighting against that, that was awesome. Cause then I, I could just drill way down into that historical detail. And so a lot of these details you see in the, the write-ups of the scenarios and the pack, those things are, 
uh, highly accurate. In fact, I got uh, the German the, the German units, uh, the two hundred was the 232nd Infantry Division. Um, yep, uh, I got their uh, write up for their campaign in Italy too. So I had that, and um, I'm not a, a great reader of German, but I can get the gist of it and then do some translating. Hmm. Um, but it's really, uh, that was really uh, helpful and really awesome to be able to do that. Yeah, so what was your, what were your sources did you go to for looking for this? Well, all, we had a handful of books that we started with. Uh, so the 10th Mountain Division mm -hmm. is uh, fairly well, um, not only um, supported, um, but um, uh, have lots of uh, stories, um, first person accounts of the, of the 10th Mountain Division from the very formation to their engagements in in World War II, and uh, so there were several um, books that we we mm -hmm. looked at there and um, kind of cross referenced them as far as how that how they told the story, especially the assault on Mount Belvedere and um, that whole camp, mini campaign that's included in the pack. Right. So we and then uh, we took the so a lot of the books and then as I normally do is I just start surfing the net. And um, uh, just with some digging, you can find, uh, I found uh, each one of the regiments has a, uh, an historical write-up of the main portion of that uh, 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 Operation Encore section uh, sequence. And so there was, there's quite a, quite a bunch of detail in each one of those. And so those were written up by the, the regimental historians uh, soon after the end of the war. And then there's multiple uh, uh, sites that have other specific articles of individual accounts, like Dave, Dave was just saying. And so I, could, I pulled all that stuff together and just uh, collated and synergized it all and saw where the overlaps were. There were, there were uh, the accounts supported each other. There really wasn't anything that was weren't been any big discrepancies between the accounts or anything, which I thought was pretty good. Um, some of the follow-on, some of the books and so on, they're, uh, they're really, you can consider them secondary sources because they pull a lot from these original uh, write-ups. And uh, so we find it, I found everything from, uh, if you do some digging, you can find, found everything from every uh, soldier that was in the 10th Mountain, that the roster of every guy that was in the unit during World War II, including Dave's dad, I confirmed that he was in the unit he said he was in. <laughs> so that was that. Like your father was leading this double life and. Right, I don't know who that guy was. <laughs> yeah, no, that was, he was spot on. And it was, um, um, so, and then we, we, we were pulling pictures and you can find all sorts of pictures. Uh, Sometimes we we uh, kind of wonder, and sometimes if we uh, where we pull the pictures from. Some of them are public, you know, uh, but a lot. Uh, so a lot of, and then we we pulled some of these pictures, and we have a picture of a guy in a jeep on one of the scenarios. Right. And uh, yeah, one of the stories my dad told was uh, <laughs> when he looked at the pictures and looked at all the scenarios. He said, "You know, one day I gave this ride up to gave this ride to this guy up the mountain in a jeep." And we overlooked this mountain. I bet that's me in that Jeep. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we pulled everybody that was a picture. 
I don't even know if it was. <laughs> and we do have a picture of, of my dad outside of a igloo, um, but we're pretty sure that was that was taken in Colorado. But we're we're saying we're we're saying that it could be you know on the side of the mountain in in yeah. Italy. <laughs> Nobody will know. Yeah, I'll go ahead and say that. Nobody will know the difference. <laughs> That's fine. Yeah, so it was fun. And then uh, the, the, uh, they fought uh, primarily against, uh, for a big chunk of the, the Operation Encore section, so a lot of our scenarios actually are slightly before and after that, uh, against the same division. But they also fought a little bit against the 4th Parachute uh, uh, Division as well. There was kind of an overlapping and swapping of units in the Gothic line there uh, during that period. Um, but yeah, they had a. They were. It was a tough attack. They this this Belvedere they attacked uh, during this Operation Encore. That had been attacked several times over the previous year, uh, previous half year by American units, and and been they they had got onto the hill, but then been repulsed. And um, uh, but the Tenth Mountain got up there and held on to it. Well, they scaled the mountain at night. They did. Yeah. And uh, surprised the the forces. Um, that that night and in the early morning and we're able to take the, the positions now so. do you have that scaling in one of the four parts yes. of the yeah that's it's not the, one of the four parts it's one of the lead in ones yeah it's the it's, uh, the second or third scenario riva ridge is uh we have some skis and patrolling the gothic line which is the first one that's and then the scaling up that cliff is the Reaver Ridge scenario where they're they're skid yes that one right there yep that one with the one with the picture of the jeep yeah yes that's the one that is cool yeah and that's the cliff they went up so or the the pretty sheer faces in the back and they, they had scouted that uh, over a period of a week or two uh, kind of surreptitiously at night. And then uh, they had uh, staked out several routes, and then they all they went up there that night, scaled them all up there, and surprised them in the morning. Yeah, is that the commando rule that gives them scaling ability? I forget. If... Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Well, that helps, right? They don't. You don't have to be a commando to scale, but it helps them not fall. <laughs> which is always a good thing not to yes do. yeah because yeah, it's been a really long time since i've climbed an asl so it would probably... I know, right well <laughs> us too so we have to read through those rules <laughs> yes so the the introductory scenarios there were there two of those that then lead into the um well we did a we did a kind of a, a patrolling the gothic line which was just a so the, the 10th Mountain arrived in this valley and uh, they did a lot of scouting uh, up and down the valley. And so we found a few incidences where they were just uh, trying to suss out German positions. And so the, this one, uh, the patrolling Gothic line is the one that I did. And just a sense of, you know, we're out on a ski patrol and we're we're finding, you know, pillboxes and trenches and maybe a few Germans and and you're trying to get so the Americans have to ski in, go across a couple bridges and ski out without taking major losses and uh, and try to things. and try to discover things, right? So it's kind of an interesting little scenario where you're not necessarily trying to eliminate everybody, uh, you're just trying to survive and and scout out positions. 
right? It's a short, tight one with, uh, it's got a small number of units on the American side, but the, the skis allow you to zip around that board. It's amazing how right. fast they make it go. So skiing downhill is kind of fun in ASL. Yeah. Because all of a sudden you're going like 12 hexes. <laughs> right. So the first time I was doing that, it must have been with the Finns or Russians, I think, on some early right. scenarios, right? right. And like, oh, it's downhill with skis. I can't wait to do this. <laughs> I thought I'd see some skiing in that Sisu movie, but that's more about blowing up Germans and stuff. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> So then, okay, so then the second, the second uh, one is that Reaver Ridge one where they, they have to get up on. That's where they scaled it at night, and they essentially the Germans were actually in the middle of uh, 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 doing a force replacement, and they just got completely surprised, and the Americans got up there and uh, took over the, the German positions before they really realized what was going on. But that one also has a lot of kind of scouting and mm -hmm. uh, finding the German positions yes. and things like that as well. So. Right. And then that launches into the four-parter um, where uh, the, they don't have to be played in sequence, uh, but there is there are certain rules, and Paul can talk more about that, uh, that link the scenarios together. Yeah. So, they're all part of Operation, the four-part is called Operation Encore. That was the name of the operation where they attacked the uh, Mount Belvedere to Mount Della Taraccia, Araccio, uh ridgeline. Um, Belvedere was the highest point, but there were several mountains, uh, hilltops along there uh, from kind of uh, southwest to northeast sort of uh, path of three or four hills there. And so they they took over, they captured Mount Reaver Ridge the night before, and they removed the observation posts and firing positions from the Germans. That was, uh, Reaver Ridge was to the south of Mount Belvedere, and it allowed the Germans to uh, interdict uh, units that were moving up Mount Belvedere. So they took that position. And then the next night they attacked onto Mount Belvedere as a, a big operation, a two regimental attack, and then followed by a third regiment. And then what I've noticed. What I've noticed on them is that, so Jeff didn't get to see this because I was looking at these scenarios. The board's 8081, and then they go into a little bit of 8283. That's right. The scenario is on 8283, and then they right. their way over on the same boards to the next right. more boards at the end. I thought, like, yes, this is like a scrolling... Uh, it is. It is. Yeah. <laughs> way across all the way. Yep. That's right. So it's actually really cool when Paul and I were playtesting it because we have a, a game table here at uh, the place where I work. And we are just able to kind of keep that up for a number of what seemed like months <laughs> where we play tested through all that. It's because, you know, you're you're playtesting it, you know, it, you're doing night and you have offboard artillery and you're trying to figure all this stuff out. And uh, uh, so it takes a while and, and you have, and then you have like, you know, two, um, two little uh, big groups of uh, Americans. So you have like 24 squads on a side or something like that. So it's a, it's a big, it's a big scenario. Right. So the boards move along and it, it just turned out that the length of the boards 
the 82, 81, 80, uh, 82 and 83, and then uh, 5A at the end, uh, they kind of match the length of that ridge line. And so they, they just flow along there and you, the Americans uh, kind of, they take the, the one, the ridge line, the hill on the left, and then they take the hills in the middle, and then they go take the hills on the end, and then they have to defend against the German counterattack that happened on that hill on the end, on the right, uh, which happened to be some uh, some elite German uh, mountain, uh, yeah. mountain troops coming back at them. Their own mountain <laughs> troops, right? So it's kind of, it was kind of a, uh, it just was kind of made to be hooked together. It was good yeah. that operation. It's really good. And then, so some of this, what's going on with the special rules? Obviously, if you win part one, there's things you gain, heat of battle. Um, and if you win by so many victory points. Yeah. Right. So the way we connected them together um, is uh, that, the, I mean, you can play them individually, but if you play them together, then you, you eat after each scenario, you look at the losses and how well each side did right along there. And then you, uh, so like the, the Germans, uh, depending on how many uh, casualties they inflicted on the Americans, they can battle harden some guys. Depending on how many losses they took, it may, they may lose some for, a small number of forces from the force pool in the next scenario. And then, uh, uh, et cetera. And then, uh, uh, so that's on both sides of the Americans and the Germans. Now, we, we did, if the units, uh, depending on uh, when, the, when the scenarios flipped to kind of a different unit that was participating, we lowered the effects because, you know, the effects wouldn't be as, like if you lost units in one unit, they wouldn't, that wouldn't be impacting the different unit that was in the next scenario so much. Yeah, if you lost some conscript Germans, not, a, not such a big deal. Right. <laughs> okay, right. I, was, I was kind of wondering about that too, because you wanted to keep it, you want to reward the winner, but you got to keep it all uh, pretty well. Yeah, right, because you did, because if they, we wanted them to be able to be played without this uh, sequence, so we didn't want to degrade the, the, the force pool very significantly in between. Um, and then, so then you track uh, for the whole scenario down at the bottom on that page, you track the victory conditions over that four sequence four sequence of uh, scenarios, and then uh, you uh, whoever has the most victory points at the end, uh, campaign victory points, right, right there, uh, wins. And there's a uh, there's kind of some common special rules on that page that are common across all the scenarios, um, and those those were put into place. Uh, to represent, well, there were some playtesting things on the minefields and so on, um, but it also represented the, the, the high training and mountain uh, operations that the 10th Mountain had. So instead of spending a full extra movement point to go uphill, they only spent a half in snow. Um, and um, they were very, they, they had a lot of experience with pack mules. Uh, so they we we gave them a little bit of a benefit at, and this is one of those other rules that we hardly ever use. Like how many times do you animal pack a 50 cal machine gun? <laughs> <laughs> Not very often. So uh, we had those, but so when you, it turns out when you animal pack it at night, it doubles the time to unload it. And it's kind of a hassle. So we, we alleviated that, took care of that. Um, these rules that when you start reading chapter G, uh, section 11, it's or section 10, it gets uh, 
you have to read them carefully. So, and some of those special rules find their way into the other scenarios mm -hmm. as well, because yeah. we wanted to um, bring those that, especially the, the 10th Mountain Division moving uphill in the snow and things like that, ground snow, um, that's kind of across the board in all of the scenarios. So those right. rules are referenced in the other scenarios as well. And then we, because we have a lot of OBA, we enforce, essentially it's the PLEBA OBA thing where you, you never lose a battery. If, if we put that, that uh, no battery, no permanent loss SSR in place, then you, when you draw a red card, you don't, if you draw a second red card, you don't lose battery access, you just put another red card in the pile. And so there was one play test where I actually had more red cards in my deck than the black cards. Yeah, that was great. <laughs> Turns out the Americans did okay. In that yeah, and that was just a big topic on the um, annual or is it journals now? <laughs> From MMP, right? They had Spilky and talk about oh, it. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. Because, yeah, it seems like we all kind of can see the folly of having an OBA that never goes off, but. Well, especially those scenarios where you know that they were count you that in the play test they were counting on it. And uh it just when you lose it, it's a killer. It's just too much. So then at the end, we have these last two scenarios. Yeah. So our friend Scott Scott Mullins, uh Grumble Jones, he did a he did a scenario, um, Metal for G Company. Um so there's um so that scenario there that was done by him a, a while ago, um, but uh, uh, we included it, or we did some updating to it. We play tested it more. A lot of Grumble Jones scenarios, he just puts them out there and uh, and lets them go. You know, he doesn't do a lot of play testing, but we play tested that one a lot. And these shorter scenarios were probably some of the favorites of our club because they got play tested all the time. Where the bigger ones. It was usually Paul and I <laughs> doing them. Well, it's hard to get someone to play a nine-turn night scenario for 20, 30 squads in a game. And then there was just a short engagement at the end that uh, Dan Best did, uh, uh, Task Force Darby, where uh, the the Americans are attacking an airfield, and there's actually some Germans that are that are going through the through the lines uh, trying to get away. And so it's got some interesting SSRs and uh, it's interesting um, uh, victory conditions on that scenario. Yeah, so, so that's a fun one because the, the Americans are attacking this airfield where the Germans are defending it. But then as the Americans go on, they're, they're, here comes some Germans behind them trying to get off the board, <laughs> go through the Americans to get off the board. It's kind of a fun scenario. Um, and we have we have a handful of other scenarios that uh, that we just ran out of uh, playtest oomph and uh, uh, will to continue from the, our group here. Uh, but we have, a, we have a handful of other scenarios that um, uh, the 10th Mountain, they did one more kind of large engagement at the end that was at, in a, on the edge of a lake. Lake, lake. lake Garda. Lake Garda. So they go up the side of a lake to get into a town at the end. And that, that I think we can do a couple scenarios off of in the future pack. I've yeah. been I've been to Central Central and they use uh they use ducks yeah to get her to bypass some the the road along the lake goes through a bunch of tunnels and they use some ducks on the lake to go uh, bypass the the little blockades the Germans had and that yeah, the Germans had a couple 88s on the other side of the lake and they just like shooting randomly 
into the tunnels. <laughs> yeah, Jeff said you've been there to the lake? Yeah, I've been to Lake Garda. I went to a tennis. Oh, you have? Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. very beautiful, huge lake. Long, yeah. long lake. Yeah, my... through the tunnels? Yeah, lots of tunnels, lots of switchbacks. It was, the driving was terrifying for somebody like who comes from <laughs> all of our, all our driving is two-dimensional. And then getting to Italy with the, with all the mountains and stuff, it was really something. But the yeah. was just absolutely beautiful. My dad, cool. my dad always said it was a beautiful country, and if it, um, he'd love to go um, back to visit. He never did, um, and he said it was great being there, except for the war. <laughs> except for that part. This <laughs> is a beautiful country. So, will we see those other scenarios pop up somewhere? The ones that didn't make it into the pack, will they? Oh yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. I've already got them. Uh, this is what happens to me. I get on a roll, and uh, so that we have, we probably have. Uh, well, I have those two half designed, and then for that Lake Garda sequence, and then, um, well, we have probably at least a half a dozen more uh, in various stages of near completion, ready for the next set of packs. Not including uh, eight or ten that's going to be in our Korean War pack. Yeah, so right. we have quite a few in the in the hopper korean war pack coming out and that was going to be yeah. really large or not yeah eight or ten scenarios but not oh, large scenarios oh, oh uh about half um, and half i think yeah uh, yeah some of them aren't that big some of them we try to i mean i always try to push that we have at least a couple you know tournament size scenarios in our packs mm -hmm. um one so that we can include them in our tournament yeah. uh but also they get more planes than um, yeah. And and people have a tendency then to uh, want to buy our pack, <laughs> right? So then we've got some other nationalities in one, right. one, scenario, one of the scenarios has the Philippine army uh, fighting in Korea. It's kind of cool. Yeah, and then there's that World War One thing is just still in the works. Yeah. <laughs> yes. yes, we still have that uh, planned. The rules are semi-stable the we just need to start play testing we uh we've been kind of we've been telling each other we've been receiving money to do a print run of the counters uh i think that's still the plan yep and uh we'll put out a uh british german uh pack uh hopefully i don't know i would we always say we always say a date then we never make it so uh, we're not saying dates anymore yeah our, our original date was uh 2014 then the <laughs> next day because it was 100 year anniversary then the next day was 2018 then the next day was well we whenever we get it <laughs> but we do have we have done a lot of work on that it is an extensive amount of work and uh that is at some point we're going to get it out and that and we're used to waiting of course but um is that NIF going to have vehicles too in it, counters and everything? Oh, yes. That, yeah. Uh, yeah. Every, if you can think of a, uh, well, not every World War I vehicle, but every uh, military type vehicle, uh, the AFVs especially. Um, and then uh, they had tons of different weapons, everything from uh, large grenade launching catapults to these uh, pine, pineapple-looking uh, mortars the British had early to, yes. So it's going to have tons of different 
interesting weapons and, and we've done I've done research that we've done research on American weapons and vehicles, uh, British, German, Austro-Hungarian, Russian, Turk, uh, Ottomans, and Italians. So in French, sorry, can't forget. cover the major. Uh, Amazing. Yeah. Well, the French. So we, uh, I worked for the army, and we had some French uh, guys come over to. Uh, turns out I do war gaming at work, which is kind of fun. <laughs> uh, so we we brought some there were some french guys officers and civilians over and we took them to the kansas city as the national world war one museum and we took them down there for that and that was uh, a interesting discussion with them but in my opinion after doing all that research and i have probably 100 books on world war one uh the french won that war the, uh, if it hadn't been for the french those guys uh took it on the chin and they now the Americans, we came in at the end and and really helped finish it off. Uh, but the French, man, they they uh, they were studly in that. Yeah, because you know, being American, we always learned that. Well, of course, we came in and had to save you again. Yeah, we saved you, saved you, and we kind of sort of did. But man, the French whew, and the British as well. But the French really were, were the Germans running out of steam on that last peace offensive a little bit even before the Americans started flooding in. Also, yeah, they were. They had they had figured out ways with their tactics and their. Uh, their upgraded weapon systems were essentially they were using World War II tactics, and they they were able to penetrate the the trenches, but it was just too little too late for them. Yeah, and uh, the Americans were coming in. Uh, the French were no dummies either, and so they uh, and the British, and so we uh, it, it was just too little too late for them. I mean they they were almost there, but it wasn't enough, and they were. The, the Germans were exhausted too. Yeah. I and mean, that war took a toll on those dudes as well. Yeah. It was and they, they, they just could not sustain um, uh, any long term uh, uh, combat there in late 17, 1918. Yeah. Even though it was like the stab in the back thing, it, sure, at home too, the German people were starving and everything. Oh, terrible. Yeah. Never realized, yeah. you know, when you're just studying the battles, you're never aware of. Oh my gosh! This thing was just horrendous, all the way around. Yeah, and we we think about the like PTSD, which is terrible from the guys that, that have been in insurgency stuff for the past twenty years. Think about those dudes that had to sit in, inside those bunkers and get bombarded for a week and a half, and then crawl out of that bunker and get up on a machine gun. It was like their brain. I don't know how they did it. Their brains were, I don't know how they did it. Amazing. And the vehicles, you know, I built a lot of models of World War II stuff and then played ASL, which really got me inspired to learn more about the war. And then I started teaching eighth grade and I had, had to start boning up on World War I and didn't want to teach too many misconceptions, you know. Uh, and then I built model kits to show the kids the help make the classroom come alive a little and so i recognized that the the what is it the mark the british one right yep and mark that, four, mark, yep yeah and then everything else i was looking at these things going what the heck is this thing i gotta build <laughs> learn about this i can tell the kids wow you fit like 10 crew in this thing you know and all kinds of there were 
Yeah. So it was exciting. It was like learning something new. Of course, you know, you teach the big picture, the strategy, the grand strategy and all that and the polit politics of it and the cause and effects. And but, you know, I always wanted to sneak in all that weird stuff with the weaponry and the odd looking tanks kind of keep everyone's interest at different levels. So I'm interested to see what I can learn more about the vehicles. Yeah, so we I've done a uh, so I'm a operations analyst at works so that that means I do math anal stuff. Uh, that's my job. So uh, so I've done uh, I've taken a lot of the data from the ASL the base AS the World War II ASL stuff, and uh, I built charts and so on that say compare real world armor thickness and gun uh, barrel length and speed and so on to the ASL uh, numbers. And then I built these charts and tables and, and then I built, uh, looked at the World War I uh, versions and, and scale, you know, scaled the armor factors and stuff to match that. The ASL guys, uh, I'm not sure they did that chart table thing, but they did a good job. I mean, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty linear how well they did, it, did that, that like real world armor goes up by this much and the armor factor goes up by a one, two values. Really well done by them. It wasn't, once I got the charts built, it wasn't that hard to see the uh, where to take the the values, but it's um, but it was it's kind of fun doing that. Yeah, looking forward to it. Um, and then club wise, how are things? I, you said I think you had some newer, younger players or play testers. Yeah, so um, it's, it's been nice to have some new players uh, join our club, and uh, some folks who had played before, but you know, taking a break and come back to it, but some people just picking it up for the first time. And uh, so a lot of circuit stuff, but then we introduce them to full ASL and they've been uh, pretty active. They've come to our tournament uh, in March. And so that's been a good boost. Um, so I, I'm the director of a retreat center and we have a game, uh, we have a little conference room, which is where we're meeting right now. And it's about eight or six tables or so. Uh, so we can have about 10 to 12 people here and not feel too crowded. Uh, and that's been really good. So we average though about six to eight people on a game day we meet monthly. Uh, so don't quite fill it, but we have filled it on occasion. So. A couple of the guys are young, 30s, 20s. Yeah, 30. Yeah, that's good. Yep. Yeah, that's yeah, that all like us, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Every time you do an interview, I'm like, oh no, it's more old guys like yeah. <laughs> old more old white guys. <laughs> yeah. Right. All four of us yeah, have a beard. <laughs> we look more distinguished. We had a, one of our old uh, a guy that he hasn't been coming for a while, but he would bring his daughters. And one of his daughters, she would play starter kit or yeah. ASL. And uh, she was, uh, I don't know, 10 years old, eight years old. Yeah. Oh, my God. She had a king tiger, but she refused to call it a king tiger. She <laughs> called it a queen tiger. <laughs> so, uh, but, yeah, that's, that, was, uh, that was fun. Yeah, I wonder where the younger guys are coming from when they come in, how, how they find it. Well, we, there's a historical a guy puts on. So there's a historical game group here in Kansas City, and they've been, they've had different iterations of their group um, where they do some model wargaming. Uh, they also do uh, some like Napoleonics and things like that. 
but um, uh, so one of our friends, uh, Scott Martin, is very involved in some of that that branch of that group. And so he's started doing a historical game fest every year, like in August. And uh, so we've been invited to come to that and do a little mini ASL tournament. <clears throat> and so we pick up a few people from that every, every year because uh, they just are there to do something else. And they come by and they say, well, can I just play a game? And we said, sure. So we set an up for them and, and they may have never played ASL before. Um, but kind of walk them through, you know, how it works and get them a certificate. And uh, um, usually Dan is very good. Dan Best is part of our, our main group here. And he's very good about giving away things, prizes and stuff. So um, if there's a new player that shows up, they usually go home, go home with a certificate or a rule book or something like that. So, um, yeah. I hope hopefully that will inspire other groups to do to do likewise. I it it seems like there's an uptick in um, in players. Yeah, and so we've also um, because we're a nonprofit uh, for our club, we have gained some donations of people either when they pass pass away or when they don't want to play anymore. We've gotten their their kit. Um, so. Uh, we have at least three kits here in the in our office here um, at uh, Hollis Renewal Center. And we're talking like a lot, a lot of counters, yeah, and, lot of <laughs> and stuff. So, so there's no, there, so our club doesn't have to bring things uh, to play a game, right? So they just show up, and we've got all the maps here. We've got all the counters, and and unless there's something strange with a particular. Uh, uh, you know, a third party group that they want to play or something like that, that we've got everything here. So wonderful. Yeah. How did somebody get the, uh, the mountain pack. Yeah. So um, it is available uh, at our website. So Kansas, uh, KansasCityASL.com. Uh, I think that's right. <laughs> and uh, uh, is also available digitally. Uh, through the uh, scenario archive folks uh, in in Great Britain. So, okay. oh, wonderful. Uh, if you want to just download it digitally, it's a it's the same price I think uh, at, on Dave Dave Ramsey's site as it is ours. But uh, and uh, so it's like sixteen bucks, and we pay for shipping. Uh, and then it's also available through some of the game stores, uh, online game stores like Gamer Gamers Armory, Ritter Krieg uh alex keys um oh yeah website okay yep. okay he's a good guy I don't know. yeah he he supports he supports yep. our our march Madness tournament every year with some prizes and stuff so yeah wonderful well we'll, we'll be sure to include some links uh on this yeah show. make sure i got that link right <laughs> so i think we better i think i'd like to uh so we have a lot of play testers there's a list of these play testers on the back cover of the front of the pack, but uh, you can see a lot. A lot of the ones that uh, do a lot of it is Randy Church, James True, Nathan Wagner, those guys, um, and Tom Meyer. And so those guys are like guys that do a lot of the play testing for us. But each one of those guys is, we really appreciate those guys. It's a lot of work. Um, any people that have been that have put out a pack. Where you you uh, 
you count on a group of people that they that don't always want to play this play a play test scenario but we uh we lean on those guys a lot and uh we're so appreciative of their uh support yeah that's really yep. nice it's a great community there's no question about it people really like to for the most part like to contribute yeah. and to, have, to be able to tap into that is great got a good group there well, we probably wrap it up, are we supposed then? Yeah, if there's anything else you want to mention before we go. We really appreciate you guys. Yeah, yeah. thanks for uh, supporting us and uh, um, getting the word out about this pack, and we really appreciate it. I think one thing I'd like to leave with you folks is there's not the, the World War II veterans are going fast, mm -hmm. and the Korean War ones too. So if you ever see one walking around or somewhere, in the mall or whatever, it it makes a difference when you say thank you to them. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And if there's any teachers out there, we used to write thank you cards each time we learned about a different. Yes. Typically, I'd ask kids if they had anyone in your family, and then uh, that's alive and that would accept that. We, we'd love to get a card to them. Yeah, we were very lucky to have Dave's dad as a resource on this project. Yes, Dave. Yeah. yeah, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, really nice. So, yeah. right, well, of course, well, there's one, there's one time I asked a kid about interviewing their parents also, having them come in and talk to the classes if they were a veteran. And the the one kid goes, well, yeah, my, my grandpa was in World War One." I. I said, no, I don't think so. <laughs> I think you're talking World War Two, And he said, no, World War One, I, I think. And and then it turns out he was in World War One. I. I said, you got to be kidding me. Um, this was long ago. But I said, it, we should get him to come in and, and have him talk to the kids. And he said, well, I don't know, Mr. Kleinschmidt. He hates kids and he swears a lot. <laughs> I said, oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Too bad. So, all right, we'll sign off then. Thank you guys so much. Right. Yeah, thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you. We'll see you. We always say, should we try it together? Yeah. Remember to roll low and rally well. But, but now, now you're playing with us. Yeah. Bye bye, everyone. Bye, everybody.